This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Hello, hello, everybody. Good evening to this edition of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele. Uh, it is a privilege to be in your company tonight uh, as we make sense of uh, difficult business um, issues around corporate governance. Um, thank uh, Howard Feldman, uh, Sasha Star, for keeping us abreast with the latest uh, information. Uh, moving forward, let me just acknowledge my producer here, Vusi, who will uh, be navigating the ship with us uh, throughout the show. Uh, tonight, what do we have installed tonight? We Tonight, we're going to have a conversation around KPMG, Trillion, Escom, and McKenzie. As we all know that these are uh, companies that are literally um, assuming the center stage in terms of their contribution towards corporate governance failures. And the serious ramification around these particular issues. Um, I'll be joined online by two esteemed individuals. One is Carl, Carl Wegner, who is a lecturer at the Business School, and later by David Lewis uh, from Corruption Watch. Um, and the whole point for us is really get a sense uh, from um, Carl, for example, um, around leadership and management issues. Um, one would imagine that uh, if you're operating in the space of higher education, where uh, most of us have been taught uh, leadership and management issues, it, it this sounds like an, an indictment, as it were, because majority of these um, executives um, have been schooled in uh, pretty um, esteemed uh, schools, as it were. Um, you're welcome to weigh in tonight in our in, in our conversation. Um, as you, as a norm, our SM line is three four five one nine. Our uh, online email is on air at highfm.com. Um, now moving on swiftly, um, let's try and get hold of Carl because I believe he's already uh, waiting for us. Carl, before before you 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 engage with us, uh, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Namrat. Thank you very much for having me, and well, and good evening to the listeners. Welcome indeed, sir. Um, Carl, we have noted that illicit dealings are manifestation of corruption has become entrenched in South Africa. The fact that international acclaimed companies such as McKenzie, KPMG, have siphoned taxpayers' money by either turning a blind eye or actively promoting corruption, such as the private sector and the public sector, uh, a corruption has approached endemic proportion. Um, that's that's my, 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 my take on this issue. The the question is, um, from a leadership and management point of view, uh what what how did we get to this point, Carl? Well, good question. Um Firstly, if you look at it from a management and a leadership point of view, I think we do need to understand that what has gone wrong from the perspective of both management and leadership is that the core concepts are not being followed. If you have a look at one of the basic, basic tenets of sound management, it has to include control and monitoring. And clearly that seems to have got lost somewhere. Um, If you have a look at effective leadership, one of the core elements and focus areas of leadership these days is around transformational leadership. And one of the core aspects of effective and appropriate transformational leadership as we analyze it and study it is around moral and ethical leadership. Um, And that seems to have got lost um, in terms of what's happening in these organizations. One gets the impression that yet again, we seem to be chasing the, the dollar bill or the 10 rand note at the cost um, of good governance and moral and ethical leadership. Well, thank you very much for that input, Carl. But you know, you've raised one critical point that I think perhaps maybe we need to just to um, expand on it. Um, it is the notion of ethics and ethical 
uh, conduct or ethics and business ethics. Um, society, as it were, we, we have come to understand that there, there's almost a disconnect between uh, ethics and business ethics. Why do we draw a distinction between the two? Because in my mind, ethics is ethics. There's no mm-hmm. difference between how you as Carl behave at home and how you as Carl behave at work uh, in terms of, of, of ethical conduct or your, 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 your ethos around ethical conduct. Nimrod, yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I think I, I agree with your view is ethics is ethics, whether um, it happens at work or it happens at home. And I don't believe one can um, claim to be an ethical and honest individual at home um, and try and, and coach your, your children and display behaviors that you want your children to follow. And yet you don't do the same in the work environment. Um, the scary part to me, and I think you said it in, in your introduction, is in our education of leaders, we place huge emphasis on what I've already said, management and leadership and ethics um, and governance and moral and, and, and um, ethical behavior. Um, but the question is, can one actually teach that? Or is that something we've got to find other mechanisms in society, in education, in the upbringing of people to instill that ethical behavior? Um, you know what I mean? I can, I can teach people to, to set controls. We can teach people to track and monitor. We can talk about leadership giving direction and vision i don't know that we can teach ethical behavior i think i think we've got to instill that in 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 different ways but but uh, carl here's another interesting question that i'm sure listeners would want to know in as much as that you can't teach um, ethical behavior uh, one could assume that um, by virtue of being socialized or oriented in a particular manner you're more likely to uphold a certain values because ultimately it's about it's all about values that are meant to to benefit society as a whole. But but here's a question from an academia point of view. Uh, South Africa and uh, uh, communities as, as a whole, we, we're very vociferous in voicing our views regarding um, what government is doing wrong, for right reasons, of course. Um, we have been taken a ride by government. We all know that the number of, the number of shenanigans that are there. But, but what is glaring for me, and I'm sure most people can't care with me on this point, is all point is all issue around the the voice of academia, um, the voice of civil society, which in my view is there. But academia is it's pretty quiet. I don't get mm-hmm. to hear more and more uh, um, um, voices coming from academia say, "Look, not in our name." Mm-hmm. I would I would agree. I think with the, I think there are certain pockets where you do hear it. Um, and there's research being done, and, and there, there, there are people who are talking about it, but I would have to concur that it's not loud enough, it's not consistent enough. I think we're finding my view is that quite often the academic walks away saying, we've taught you, we've given you the ten principles, the five principles. Um, and and that's, that, to me, is, is not enough. I don't know that it's just academia. I think it's society as a whole. I think we need to have it coming right from the upbringing, right from school, schooling, high school, and then into academia. And I think we do need to take a greater responsibility as society as a whole in terms of instilling these issues. I think we have an erode or an eroding of, of values. Um, I think we have people who are in it for themselves. And I think we don't have the leaders that are necessarily mirroring or displaying anything different to follow. But yes, at academia and academic level, I think we should be finding more innovative and creative ways to actually start uh, beating the drum and, and emphasizing the whole issue of, of ethical and honest behavior. 
our part in short, Carlos, what do you think the, the repercussions would be for the likes of KPMG, uh, McKenzie, around the kind of unethical behavior displayed by their, by, by, by their practices? I would like to believe that you're going to you're going to see, I would like to believe you're going to have almost a bit of a backlash from the employees in an organization like KPMG. You know, when when an individual um, is a leader, you have a whole lot of people who are followers, hmm. and and a person who is a follower is accepting that the leader will lead him or her in the right direction. And I think there's time, or the time has come, and perhaps it would happen in KPMG and and others with those who are being led start saying this is not okay <laughs> if I'm going to give up my right to lead and become a follower I then need to know that the person or people who are leading me are doing it in the right way and taking me in the right direction um, I think so for, I, I'd like to believe that from from a led point of view the followers um, should start speaking up and I do believe you're going to find ongoing bailing of customers from organizations like KPMG which we're seeing um, already Interesting, interesting observation indeed, Carl. Um, and I'm going to just hold on a second before I let you go. I'm inclined to ask you this, this yet following question. Um, if now that we have seen a number of um, uh, or serious exodus of executive in these entities, is this good enough for you? I think it's a start. Um, I think in comparison to what perhaps happens in the public sector, at least we're seeing some action taken. We've unfortunately got a very negative experience um, in, 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 in a lot of other organizations and entities in South Africa where you can misbehave and nothing happens. At least we are seeing some action taken. Um, I, I would like to see even more. I would like to see sufficient action being taken against individuals to start instilling a need to adhere to decent values and a need to ensure the the ethical behavior. If I can just add one thing that I think we all need to remember, and, and certainly it comes home to me home to me time and time again, is is, is values and ethics has to start at home, Nimrod. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, the thing that fascinates me is we talk and we teach our children about ethical behavior. As South Africans, and, and maybe this is not always true, but as South Africans, we'll go out to the pub, we'll have a beer, we'll have a second beer. That's when we should stop. We then decide to have a third beer. And the first thought that goes through many people's mind as we order the third beer is what route am I going to take to get home so that I don't get caught? You know what I mean? And that's unfortunately sad. I'm probably guilty of that myself, so I shouldn't say these things. You know what I mean? But but that starts at home, you know, and then we, we, we claim that we've got to be ethical and honest and we teach that to our kids. You know, we drive in our motor cars and we exceed the speed limit and it's not about, wow, I should slow down. It's about what speed can I afford to travel so if I get caught, I can pay the fine. And those things are not okay. Thank they you. don't happen in the UK. They don't happen in, 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 in Australia. Not that they perfect, but it's got to start at home. Thank you very much, Carl, for your invaluable contribution. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. And and, and once again, you appreciate your comment. Mm, Great. Thank you very much. Good evening. There is. That was Carl Wagner, who's a lecturer at Vets Business School. You're going to take a break before we engage our our next uh, 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 interviewer, uh, David Lewis, after the break. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It is now 19 after 6. As I promised earlier that uh, after the break, we'll have an engagement with David Lewis, whom I believe is online. Good evening, David, and welcome to Beyond Governance. Hi, hi. Thank you for inviting us. 
Thank you very much, sir. We have noted that um, you know a, a number of uh, blue chip companies will no longer be using KPMG services, among others, um, and this, in my view, signal a, a determination of self-correcting in terms of uh, the way forward. Uh, what is the position of Corruption Watch in relation to all the shenanigans that we have seen playing in, in, in our corporate space? Well, a certain amount of disappointment, but uh, not entirely surprised. You know, when when corruption reaches the scale that it has reached in South Africa and where it involves particularly cross-border flows of illicitly earned money, then it's usually uh, essential that this is facilitated by law firms, auditing firms, banks, management consulting firms. This is not to say that all of them are guilty of corruption, but one of them is needed to often affect corruption on this scale, to facilitate corruption on this scale. And uh, KPMG have been caught at it. And, uh, and this is now what we are focused on and you know very firm action needs to be taken in order to demonstrate to others who are in a position to facilitate corruption that it would not be a good idea um, uh, talking of, of firm action David we have noted that uh, about eight of the executives at KPMG uh, have left or were, were, were called to resign um, is this good enough um, is resignation of the CEO the chairperson and an executive um, of such an esteemed entity good enough to, to, to redeem themselves from this mess I don't think so really you know I think firstly uh, you know, more action, stronger action has to be taken against those individuals. I mean, many of them are, are chartered accountants subject to the sort of regulatory and ethical rules of their profession. And I think, that, and we, you know, are going to be suggesting this very strongly, that the professional association should strike them off the role of chartered accountants. They should not be allowed to practice their profession again. But, but more than that, you know, the, this issue is not about these individuals, although, as I say, I'm pleased that an example is being made of them. The issue is about the firm. You know, a firm that can employ, you know, eight ethically challenged individuals from including their chairman, their CEO, their chief operating officer, and five of their senior partners, Either they chose these people because they were ethically challenged, because they were willing to put fees above any other consideration, or else they learned that in the firm. And so I think, you know, it's the culture of KPMG that is that should be under the spotlight. And, you know, frankly, if I were audited by KPMG's business, here or elsewhere, I would be examining the situation very closely to say, is this really an auditor who potential investors, my shareholders, my employees, is this an, is this an auditor that we can trust? Can we, can we trust them when they tell us that the situation of the company is X and hope that they haven't been uh, um, uh, persuaded by some other interest to present a false report as they have done in the case of, of their auditing practices and advisory practices in South Africa. So, no, it's not enough. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm pleased that some action has been taken and much more needs to be taken.
yes, indeed, I couldn't agree with you. But but from a governance point of view, we'd imagine that the the board of KPMG, similarly the board of Trillion and the board of ESCOM, uh, for that matter, ought to have provided sufficient oversight. And and this these incidences suggest that there's inside uh, uh, maneuvering or collusion within the company, which is a norm. Hence, these these issues are left unattended. Well, you know, the, the people who've been fired from from KPMG is the board mm. for the large part. Um, everybody knows what the situation is. For example, with the ESCOM board, uh, you know, it's been the ESCOM board has been appointed to. Uh, to uh, or certainly the board that was in place was appointed to facilitate uh, the realization of the interests of a small interest group, the Gupta family and their cronies, or the president and his cronies. So the boards are the problem. Uh, but yes, I mean, you know, the, the governance model that we follow is, requires that the board exercise oversight over the company, that they haven't done this says something about the members of the board. It says something about who appointed the members of the board. And it says something about how the shareholder, which in the case of ESCOM is the state, mm-hmm. uh, overlooked uh, oversaw the activities of their board and their company. So, you know, uh, yes, the board is to bl- blame, but, uh, but they're only one of the actors in the whole process. Looking at this issue from much from from a broader perspective, in the context of the state, we know that the the state has been embroiled in these kind of of of, of incidences. Um, from a from from corruption watch point of view, what is what is that has been done to to see justice, so to speak? Uh, because we've seen how um, um, the likes of KPMG and Trillion are beginning to try and 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 redefine themselves, and we don't and yet we don't get to see the similar approach or thinking in terms of correcting um, the, these these kinds of, of of maladministration from government side. What is your view or way forward from government side to make sure that the same action is taken? Well, you know, firstly, I, I should just add, Trillion have done nothing to correct themselves. Quite the contrary, then. You know, attempted to sell their interest out in order to, uh, you know, I think basically take the heat off the Guptas and their immediate associates. Uh, KPMG have done what they have done, and we have, you know, indicated that we don't. I've indicated that we don't really think that to be enough. You know, the the, the state. You know, you know, one of the reasons why the private sector acts as the private sector does is because their shareholders are vigilant in relation to their interests. They're certainly more vigilant than the taxpayers are in relation to the state. So if you ask me what we've got to do, we, we as the public, we as civil society organizations, you as the media, need to be even more vigilant than we already are. And I think we've displayed a high level of vigilance, which is great. You know, in South Africa, we have a real problem with the criminal justice institutions. I mean, the first institutions to be captured in this country with Hawks and the NPA. And it's very difficult to exact the kind of retribution that is warranted in the case of corruption if you have a thoroughly corrupt police force and prosecutorial service, which we do. But I think as members of the public, we need to maintain the pressure. And in fact... You know, we have seen positive results from the pressure. We have seen the likes of Brian Molefe and Benin Gubani removed from ESCOM. We have seen the rights of, of Burning into Meza removed from the from the Hawks. We have seen, you know, positive action from our pressure. 
And we need to exert that in, in wherever we find ourselves, in whatever organizations we find ourselves, in wherever we are, we need to be the ones who ensure good governance. If you're the parent in a school, you need to know what's going on with your school and with your school governing body. Just as if you're the voter in an election, you need to know what's going on there. Just if you're a consumer of electricity, as we all are, you need to be concerned and adding your voice to the protest of what is going on in ESCOM or South African Airways or whatever the case may be. We are, you know, in effect, the shareholders of the public institutions. And if the public institutions are not behaving as they should be behaving, we need to uh, tell ourselves that we at least bear some responsibility for that. My, my last point, David, is around culture of impunity, which we have seen... Yes. Um, which you have seen to be eroding. And, and, you know, based on what you've just said, there seems to be the pressure that has been exerted by the public, in, you know, onto these institutions seems to be working. But McKenzie, um, for an example, it's not a local company, same way as KPMG is not a local company, but it has a footprint in South Africa. Mm. Your take in terms of taking these institutions to their mother country, i.e. the states, and, and what sort of recourse... Um, are you anticipating to have? Because I don't think South Africans are, will be happy enough to see senior executives resigning, but there has to be much more robust recognition of how they've suffered uh, the taxpayers' money, and most importantly, how they have literally killed a small man, because these, uh, these, these kinds of, of, of um, activities fundamentally undermines how small men from a consulting point of view are, are, are suffering under their death. Well, we, we, as it so happens, are you know, in the process of completing a submission which we'll make to the United States Department of Justice, laying out, laying out where we believe uh, McKinsey has contravened U.S. law and asking the, the FBI, the U.S. Department of Justice, to investigate their conduct. And unlike South African enforcers, they are really robust enforcement agencies, and we're hoping that they will look at McKinsey and that they will agree with us that they are in contravention of the United States Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, it's called. No, David, thank you very much for your time. Um, Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you. Thanks very much. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Well, that was David... um, uh, from Corruption Watch, giving us his views around why, um, you know, the, as, as an entity, they are taking these issues uh, forward with a view to really change uh, this culture of impunity that has bedeviled uh, South Africa. Um, it is quite pleasing that um, in as much as, well, one would have had more voices coming from uh, business, especially business associations, uh, to, to come out very strongly against these kinds of behavior because they, they are ultimately their members. Uh, we'll wait and see and see, you know, the likes of boosters and, and other entities at that level and the extent to which they are really taking these issues um, um, to to, to a natural conclusion. We're going to take a break uh, now and we'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It is now um, 30, uh, it is now half past six. Um, It's amazing how time flies. Before we went to the break, we have had a view from David Lewis, who is a director at Corruption Watch, giving us really rundown in terms of um, the, 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 the measures that the 
they, they are intending to take with regards to KPMG uh, and with regards to to um, ESCOM and and all these other entities that were found wanting from a corporate governance point of view. Let me hear your thoughts. Um, it will be interesting just to weigh in as well. Um, um, as you know, our SMS is three four um, three four five one nine, and our on air email is on air at fm dot com. Yeah, let's him tell me what you're thinking, and and let's see how we could as as a collective, because ultimately, these are not just the responsibilities of these entities, uh, institutions such as these ones, and media more broadly has that responsibility to make as much noise as possible um, so that we're able to arrest this particular issue moving forward. Uh, My biggest gripe with these kinds of shenanigans is that um, they are robbing ordinary entrepreneurs an opportunity to make a living. Uh, If we agree or there's the consensus that um, small businesses in, in, in their own you know, uh, different spaces which they play, whether in a consulting uh, space, manufacturing space, in any other space, when you have big boys who literally, uh, by virtue of their size, monopolize uh, the environment, and beyond that, literally messes up to a point where we are all found wanting uh, uh, from economic uh, development point of view, it is quite disheartening. Um, and again, this is my view, because I would imagine how, more, how many people have lost the opportunities uh, to make a living? How many people have been locked out? How many executives out there who uh, um, have really been given a raw deal uh, purely because organizational culture um, uh, or these kinds of behaviors are endorsed at the high level? And again, well, I could be wrong, but this is my view, um, and, and I will welcome yours as well. Um, yeah. Well, moving forward, um, we're going to have um, exactly the similar issue. But um, before we take that, uh, um, I will evoke a musical item uh, while we're waiting for um, my, my other guest to come through on studio, Eric Stillerman. Uh, I believe he's currently on the way. Um, the view with Eric was essentially about how do we move forward? Because, yes, everybody's being up and about, making noise uh, for the right reasons, of course. But the next question is, so what? Okay, particularly when we have the state organs that are meant to uh, make a, a, a symbol, a gesture of, of, of goodwill in terms of, of reviving the reputation of state uh, in terms of prosecuting our capture themselves. How do we correct this kind of environment? That, that's something that uh, you know, I would want to get a sense uh, uh, from you and everybody else. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It is now 19 to 7. And um, as I promised you before we took an ad break, I said I was going to get uh, Eric Stillman, a strategist, to, to really make sense of the kind of issues that uh, we've had uh, a conversation around. And Dave, um, David? Uh, Eric. Uh, Eric. 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 <laughs> David is still your name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, not many people call me by my second name. I beg your parents. Sorry, What's I'm your second name, Nimrod? <laughs> Opa. 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 So I'm going to call you Opa. By all means, by all means. Well, welcome and welcome, sir. Thank you, Opa. Love him, love him, my brother. You you picked it up, um, Eric, that um, there's so much has happened Mm. around Trillion. There's so Mm. much that has happened with KPMG. The fundamental question is, 
what now? Now mm. that the at, at KPMG we've seen how about eight executives mm. have left or are forced to leave, mm-hmm. and and we'll see how you know uh, the clients, blue chip clients, are literally moving away mm. uh, from KPMG sure. because um, in the, they don't want to be associated with an entity mm. that, that 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 is fraught mm. uh, with corruption, as it mm. were. Um, for us to move forward, what is it that we need to be doing? Thanks, Nimrod. Um, I, I, I think that we're, we're in a war right now. Uh, uh, um, I think when we discussed the uh, cabinet reshuffle, it was around about March, we were looking at, at where we're going here, and, and we saw there were two major factions in this country, and they engaged in a war against mm. each other um, all the time on, on so many different fronts. You know, no, no sooner than... Um, KPMG has been caught out, and 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 it's quite manifest that that and they resigning, and they've been criticised by their and, and held to account by their overseas parent, uh, and they're losing clients. Only today I was in a big AGM of of, of a major group of, of public companies. On the agenda was: Are we going to you know to reappoint uh, KPMG as auditor? And the chairman of the meeting just said, sorry, we're going to reconsider on that one. We're not taking a vote on that today. That's very unusual. Mm-hmm. So so there's an immediate impact of that. You know, um, in fact, in terms of the uh, Institute of of, uh, of, account- of Accountants, the board of accountants, they've been pushing Bernard Agullis, the head of that board, for rotation of auditors for mm-hmm. a long time. And the major big four or five have resisted it for a long time, and now their cover's been blown. Now, they're, again, there's going to be rotation of auditors. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, to have one auditor for 18 years and for yeah, 30 years. Yeah, they get too embedded. It, 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 they get too close to I'm, I'm, I'm sure there might be public companies listening and saying, how can Stillman say that? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the reality. They're huge, profound. When Bill Pottinger has imploded, KPMG, another major, major international auditing firm, is, is having huge reputational damage. You know, so so I, th- I think there the are huge consequences at the moment. The thing is, with the, with with somebody like David Lewis and all the institutions that are holding people to account, OTA, Parliament, mm-hmm. the legal system, that everyone is is engaged in this activist war against each other right now, and you have to continue fighting, mm-hmm. and you got to win this war. You can't allow the other side. Tom Moyani now wants to take. KPMG to sue KPMG. Why did they withdraw their report? Mm-hmm. You heard, you, you yes, saw yes. that report. So, so Tom Moyani on that side of, on that faction is not giving up. They're trying to kind of hold, force uh, uh, KPMG to, 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 to uh, reinstate their report that there was a, a, a rogue unit and Pravin Gordon must now be sued, you know. <laughs> Who's winning this? Who do you think is winning this war? Look, maybe before I get to that question, um, um, Eric, I am more worried about the clients of KPMG, for example, mm. because withdrawing um, could be a symbol mm. that you don't want to associate yourself with um, unethical behavior. Mm. But what does it mean uh, from your books or the reports which has been conducted? by KPMG. Is there a shadow now? Can we now begin to question which would be a reason that that amplify the reason for withdrawal? 
are these entities withdrawing purely because they don't want to be associated with or there's a credibility issue relating to the findings of KPMG on their books or on the work that KPMG has done? Which one of these two? I'm not exactly sure of your question. There's, if, if I just duck the question a little bit before we get back to it directly, um, there's, this, there's, a, there's a, cl- a cloud of lack of credibility mm-hmm. and of doubt right now, mm-hmm. reputational doubt um, about KPMG. And, and, and I, I think you can expect quite a lot of clients to distance themselves, and it depends how KPMG handles it. Mm-hmm. The fact that the overseas parent has stepped in Mm-hmm. to kind of identify who was responsible directly in their South African office, they've got to do a, repud- a damage control. I mean, I, I, I thought you were going to get a PR uh, a, a company in here today. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's how you pitched it to me, that they're going to, how do you, how do you, you know, repair reputational damage? That's what they've got to do. The consequences for them can be implosion, like Arthur Anderson Collapsed after Enron Worldcom. I mean, that was probably one of the top firms in the world at Absolutely the time. Absolutely, at the time. You know, they, they really collapsed totally. You know, and KPMG was one of the top firms a week ago. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever it before it came to light, so they need, they're going to need to 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 find some way of damage control. I don't know if you can think of of how they can limit the damage. Well, I mean, I'm not in a PR space, but <coughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure they are probably scuffling, uh, trying to secure PR companies to do damage control. Mm. But um, the South African society, in my view, has become so enlightened mm. uh, and beyond just hairy-fairy stuff, mm. uh, particularly when the private sector has been quite strong in, in, in condemning government, for the mm. right reasons, of course. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure they would want to be more aggressive in terms of dealing with these issues um, such that, um, you know, uh, we, we get precedent, you know, uh, around how these, these issues have been managed. And for me, I think I'm quite happy to see those kinds of action uh, taking place, mm. uh, you know, really getting to the bottom yeah. of, of, of how, you know, a collapse happened. If you look at a couple of instances of how, how damage control has, has rescued a company in the recent past, take Samsung, oh. had the S7s. Uh, notebook was was blowing up. Okay, notepad. What's it called? Okay, I think it's a seven or yeah. one of the one of the and, and they withdrew it. They immediately they they, they took account. They, they refunded whoever had one, and 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 replaced it with something equivalent. And they've now come up with an S eight, which has repaired all that damage risk problem, and and their figures have shot right up again. So in other words, they've limited the damage, they've isolated the damage to one particular product, Mm -hmm. they've taken responsibility for it, they've come clean, they've damage controlled it immediately, and they've repaired the damage. The same with Ford. I mean, Ford had cars that were burning and a, a light on fire. And they immediately, you know, no, not immediately. Many of the companies try and duck and dive and avoid responsibility and they suffer more damage. As soon as you take account and, and, and you kind of repair, we're in, uh, in the Jewish community, as you probably know, we're in that period of the year of accountability and of, of kind of confessing your sins and doing repentance and coming clean. And can you reinstate and repair yourself? And I think we have a strong tradition that you can. 
So it's going to be up to KPMG how they manage it to to try and reinstate and and you know. But you can't do that by ducking and diving. You got to certainly take uh, responsibility. But similarly, I mean, McKenzie, for example, because I mean, McKenzie and KPMG are in the same fold. Uh, we we know how McKenzie have also frauded, um, you know, ESCOM, um, you know, by 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 claiming substantial uh, subcontrol deals, about thirty uh, percent uh, of the work um, uh, done by Trillion uh, or under the guise of um, supply development. Um, but again, we know how Trillion um, managed to escape by instituting their own internal investigation uh, to say where the rot is. Um, but ultimately, you know, we need to see more action. I think, as you've currently pointed out, if there's immediate ownership mm. uh, from the shareholders, mm. ultimately, because the executive are just most of them aren't, you know, so sure. immediate ownership. Yeah. So, look, we have done a, a, a soul-searching mm-hmm. We have identified um, issues or rotten apples, mm-hmm. and we've eliminated, eliminated these rotten apples mm. and give us a chance. Um, and perhaps maybe there could be a turnaround. But, but you know, you see how some of these companies, like, you know, the big boys, literally scavenging, taking some of the clients, uh, which would make it even worse for the likes of KPMG to come back. Mm. Yeah. Look, uh, um I, I think even the, the whole, you know, the, the whole PR industry, if you take, go back to Bill Pottinger for a minute, in a way, has your opinion, what, how's your opinion changed personally of the PR industry as a whole? Not only Bill Pottinger. Has it, has that incident, that whole story tainted your view? Is there a spillover? Is there collateral damage to how you view the industry as a whole? No, no, obviously, you, you, you can't generalize, um, 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 you know, uh, perpetrators. I mean, there are instances where uh, companies are able to come out mm. uh, um, out of the mess. And, yeah. and, and I don't think KPC, KPMG, I've got, look, it's a multi-billion rate institution globally. Yeah. So they would definitely find themselves out of this mess, depending on how they own up, yeah. depending on how they, they, they uh, really make, you know, moving forward, sure. behaving or setting the standards. Yeah. Uh, well, in 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 Bell Pottinger's case, the you know the British uh, or international PR uh, governing body by taking uh, sorry, no, I'm sorry, by taking a strong stand, has has kind of in a way damage controlled their whole industry to say it's not all PR companies. It could spill over to all PR companies because, you know, how do you represent a company from a PR perspective? that you, you're being paid, you've got a contract to put them in the best light. And you do a good job <laughs> by kind of saying the glass is half full, not half empty. You know, what is the, the line of ethical breaching ethics to say, you know, we pitch this thing, we reframe the whole story in a positive light. But when you go to the, to the length of falsifying the facts, mm-hmm. of kind of creating in South Africa a whole, you know, Pandemonium about white monopoly capital, mm-hmm. and 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 you know fermenting racial divisions in this country. Obviously, the governing body said no ways. That's the limit. You mm-hmm. guys have abused the the role of a PR company. In the case of auditors, 
There's an auditing governing body in this country, and there's a governing body internationally. So it'll a lot will depend on how they the stand that they take to to isolate this and say this was, you know, KPMG and limited to the people that were involved directly. It doesn't spill over to the whole accounting. Fraternity. Fraternity. Mm-hmm. You know, so hopefully they will. T- that's why you have governing bodies and codes of ethics. Otherwise, there could be huge collateral damage, you know. I could imagine. But but here's another interesting question that yeah. everybody wants to know. Um, yeah. You know, some of these guys were, were, you know, obviously were caught. Yes. Um, if they were not caught, the question is how far back has these kinds of practices been prevalent? Mm, mm. You know, you know, because, and I think that's a legitimate question mm. um, because had it not been of the, the Guptas, yes. you know, had it not been of Trillian, mm. had it not been of Mackenzie, yeah. uh, we would not have found out these things. Had it not been of the, uh, uh, you know, multiple center of powers in the governing party, yes. you know, the chances are some of this thing would have, you know, uh, uh, gone unnoticed. Mm. You know, the fundamental question is how far back um, is it, is it, is it worth our while to, to, to cast our eyes beyond just this particular incident and say, mm, wait a second, um, you know, how far is, how, how deep is this thing? Mm. Would you consider that a legitimate question? Well, you see, I, uh, as I said earlier, I, I think this is a manifestation of the underlying political conflict, the fact, factional battle in the country right now. It's, it's, that, that, that kind of connects all the dots of these incidents. It, it's, it's not like you need to go and start investigating 20 years ago that, you know, Ernst & Young or KPMG or Deloitte or anybody else uh, were they party to, to, you know, some kind of uh, um, uh, corrupt activity? You you would have to have some kind of, uh, on the face of it, case to say there's a major corruption incident here, the arms deal. That was another major thing. They did a whole series of investigations. No one was really brought to account in the arms deal. You know, we didn't have as much involvement of those um, institutions in the country like they are now. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of active, very highly active institutions right now that are fighting this battle and are winning this battle because they're revealing, they're exposing so much of this corrupt activity. The source of it, to my mind, you know, is is, is the political battle we're facing. There are people with a polit- strong political interest to cover up and we know who those people are, and there's a faction fighting that battle on that side. And thankfully, there's a faction on the other side that's got a strong interest in exposing it and holding people to account. <laughs> the question is, you know, who's going to win? What's your view? Are you going to place any bets at this point in time? Look, I mean, the big boys will, I mean, the good guys will win uh, eventually. Because, I mean, when you look at the ramification of these kind of scandals mm. um, are huge um, on the economy. Mm. Uh, we're sitting with unemployment uh, of, of chronic mm. proportion. Yes. And there's a need to, to, to review the status. Mm. And you're going to review the status by bringing incredible leadership. Mm. Uh, whoever has been defined as credible, mm. whether it's um, the camp, uh, Ramaphosa's camp, or any other, mm. you know, uh, sure. formidable Sure. Uh, camp, if so to speak. Yeah. Um, uh, that is the only way in which 
Uh, because we have to look at this thing beyond just individuals. It's all about the economy. It's all about the country. Mm, sure. It's all about the institutions um, that are meant to protect um, the, the democracy. Mm. The chapter nine institutions, mm-hmm. uh, for an example, um, which 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 is found wanting under the current mm-hmm. leadership. Right. So um, we need to look at all those issues yeah. uh, and, and say whoever comes in has to have his priority uh, around those particular issues because. That's only way in which we could turn around the economy. Well, you know, the battle is going on right now. You know, we're in the 19th of September. The electoral conference is in December. There's still a long time to go. And the battle is being fought in these months leading up to December. So take the institutions which are supposed to hold people to account from a legal perspective. One is the public protector, and we know under Tuli certain uh, uh, recommendations were made and then she was she finished the term of office and she was replaced and now the public protector is not holding people to account we've got the national prosecuting authority we've got 750 odd charges against the president and 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 he doesn't press the charges there because he's under the control of you know, Sean Abrams under the control of the faction. So the, the people right now who who are exposing all of this are, fraud, you know, if, if fervently, not fraudulently. <laughs> it was a Freudian slip. <laughs> They're fervently having to hold people to account. Like Harry Nell, for example, is a private prosecutor who's starting to prosecute people independently and take civil action to hold people to account. And that's that's the battle that's on right now. It seems to me that since all these things have been exposed, that 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 the, the accountability camp seems to be winning this game and has got a strong chance to I, come I, out on top. I couldn't There's agree with you more. Hope and pray. I couldn't agree with you more. Look, I mean, it's all in a very... It's, 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 it, it is in our best interest as yeah. a society sure. to first and foremost acknowledge that these camps, uh, whoever are sent to power, has to be a man of integrity. Mm. And we have to look at issues around the policy as, yeah. as a whole for us to move forward as a country. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, Eric, we're going to have to leave it there. Once again, Thanks. thank you Lovely. very much for coming. Thanks through. for having me. Your input is always uh, welcome. You too. Uh, until we meet again, it has been an absolute pleasure.